The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. This podcast is brought to you by the American Negotiation Institute, where we put on workshops that are designed to make your difficult conversations easier. These workshops focus on conflict management and negotiation and will give you the confidence you need to get more of what you want without jeopardizing relationships. Check out the link in the description if you're interested in learning more. Before we start this episode, I want to start off with a bit of an apology here. Um, I say a bit because I have good reason for this delay. Uh, so as you can tell, it's been almost a month since the last episode. So I apologize for that gap. I've been really busy. Um, I was traveling a lot. I was actually in San Diego um, last week doing an all-day training. And so if you want to blame somebody for <laughs> for the delay, um, blame a listener um, in San Diego named Chelsea. She was the one who brought me in to do a training at her company. So shout out to Chelsea. Thanks for the invite. I had a blast. Um, you are going to love this episode today. It's with my friend Claude Fedelin. Claude was educated in Paris and earned his MBA from Columbia Business School and is currently an executive at a major Fortune 100 company that unfortunately must remain unnamed. Over the course of his impressive career, he's had the opportunity to negotiate large business deals and train thousands of executives. Now, that might seem very impressive, but my favorite part about Claude's story is that he's from Martinique, a small island in the Caribbean, which is right next to my dad's island of Dominica. And um, as a proud Caribbean American, that really speaks to my heart. I brought Claude on the show today to talk about uh, cross-cultural negotiations. He drops some knowledge bombs in this episode, and I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Claude, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kwame. Hey, it's my pleasure. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself? Of course. So as you can tell by my accent, I'm French. I'm 38 now. Been in the U.S. now for seven years. That was kind of a kid's dream to come over to the U.S. after everything I watched um, on TV back in France. But on the professional side, I've been in the negotiation space for the past 16 years. And really the reason why I got into it is because out of my first business school, I really liked the interaction with people, you know, and I liked the sales aspect, but I didn't like just to do sales. So just the interaction with the people. And I liked also to prepare and to be on my own and like crunch numbers and think about scenarios. So I don't want to go totally in sales or marketing. I didn't just want to be behind the computer crunching data. And that's where this idea of negotiation comes to fruition. So that's the path I chose. And I'm super happy about the balance that it really provides me between doing my own homework and interacting with people. So I started in banking, doing negotiation for a French bank in the UK. And then after that, I moved into consulting, advising clients from all industries all over the world around how they could get better contracts for themselves. And then after that, I decided to do my MBA 
and I came to the U.S. for my MBA, and that's when I also decided to stay. On the personal front, I'm married. My wife is British, so that's a lot of uh, cross-cultural interaction, both with my wife, but also between our families. And we have two lovely kids. My son is almost four, and my daughter is one. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I have a two-year-old. Congrats to you too, then. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm sure you're learning about negotiations with uh, your kids too. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they're good. They're really good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Good stuff. So the main thing that I wanted to talk to you about is your experience with international negotiations, because now we're living in a time where it's a global business society. And so there are going to be instances where you have to negotiate and connect with people across cultures. So can you tell us a little bit more specifically about the, like, the types of negotiations you've had where you've had to communicate with somebody with a different cultural background? Sure. I think my favorite example was when I was advising a large pharma company in the U.S. and then they needed help specifically on a few contracts. So there was a contract with uh, South America, mostly Chile. That was like for natural resources, but also a contract with Japan. And the big surprise to me was the way that the American company was going about it was the same regardless of which country they were negotiating with. They would negotiate with a supplier in North America. They would be the same, like very straightforward. Here are the points we need to discuss. These are our expectations. Let's talk and let's have back and forth. So that's how they would go with the Americans. That's how they would go about it with uh, people in Chile. And also that's what they would go about with people in Japan. The big, big, big difference that we saw there and the big impact we were able to provide was like, hey, take a break. All those people are different. By the way, all those people have different power position, especially the Japanese were really in a position to decide who they wanted to supply. So we're like, you need to take a, a time out. Let's rethink this. And the big impact we had there was, you know, forget about emails. That's not the way to go about building a relationship in Japan. So instead of that, we made sure that the counterpart of this pharma company in Japan, like the general manager in Japan, would actually receive a very nice letter on paper. I know it sounds crazy, but a very nice paper, letterhead. But not only the letter saying what they wanted to do, there would be like a big brochure about their company, what they stand for, some of their story behind it. And we had that whole package actually hand-delivered to the companies we wanted to interact with in Japan. Just that by itself made a big impact. We've been trying to have a relationship with that company in Japan for years, and it really wasn't going anywhere. But just thinking how they receive it, what are like, the expectations, and meeting and even exceeding those expectations definitely opened the door and at least allowed us to start the negotiation. I think that's a brilliant example of the different approaches that countries can have when it comes to negotiating and how different cultures need a little bit more of a hands-on approach. And it takes time to build those types of relationships. In your opinion, and I know I'm asking you to speculate a little bit here, what do you think the perspective of the pharma company you were working for at that time when they didn't take that personal approach? What message were they receiving? Yeah, so our hype. Prophecies there was the Japanese are really focused on relationships and long-term relationships. 
And some of the evidence that we had to support that hypothesis was they would not change the price. That natural resource, the price had skyrocketed over the past 10 years, like we're talking five times more expensive. In Chile, the price reflected that market. In Japan, they barely like increased the price by a few percentage points year after year. That's also what made the Japanese suppliers so much in demand because their prices were much lower. But what was important for them was the long-term relationship. They wanted to feel like, hey, right now we're in the, on the right side because the price is going up, but we're not going to increase the price. But they just wanted to feel like whichever partner they were going to contract with would be replicating that favor in case the price will drop down. And when you just go to them because they have the cheaper stuff, they don't feel valued. They don't feel like you're building a long-term relationship. They don't feel like a personal connection. They don't feel like, you know, it will be an equal relationship that their things change. So that's why it was so important for them to feel like this is not just a transaction today because we have a good price. We are building a relationship. And you sending me an email, this is not building a relationship. You sending me your executive, taking half a day with me, with nice paper and the whole background and getting to know our two companies, that's you starting to build a relationship. That's kind of the difference between Tinder and Match. <laughs> we are now offering conflict management and negotiation workshops for companies. If you like the content here and you think your team would benefit from getting a customized seminar, then all you need to do is email me or go to the American Negotiation Institute's website to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. That's brilliant. It's uh, essentially the Japanese companies saw more value in the relationship, at least at the beginning, than the American company did. And I think this gives a great example of how there are, how different people can value things differently. If we have a very myopic perspective on what value is, we focus on dollars and cents and revenue. But you can really move the needle in a negotiation when you expand your perspective of value and include things like relationship and security. Because really what this company was doing was investing in the future. Because like you said, things are good now. That might change. We need a special kind of partner that is going to reciprocate by sticking with us if things turn against us. You are absolutely right. And I think one aspect that I really liked in your summary is this aspect that different people put different value on things. And in my mind, this is really where you reach the ultimate win-win situation. Because in their case, they didn't value price that much, but they valued relationship. Guess what? We valued price very much. 
maybe a little bit less relationship like okay we can give you something that you value very much that doesn't cost us very much and then we get something that we value very much like this is the ultimate win-win in my mind absolutely and that's the key to creativity and negotiation you're finding ways to trade things of unequal value so i don't value this thing very much I'll give it to you because you value that thing more. And in return, you'll give me something that I value highly that might not be as important to you. And when you start to think about these things in terms of bargaining chips, that creativity is what can move the needle when a relationship or a negotiation starts to stagnate. Absolutely. Man, this is a phenomenal example. Thank you. So one of the other things about this point that I think is really important is the reality of assumptions. Because a lot of times we have this assumption that, well, first of all, everybody has this assumption that they are right. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to admit <laughs> that they're wrong. And so because we always think that we are right, we think that it should be kind of obvious for the other party to see that we are right. And I think that extends to our assumptions of what the other person thinks. So the American company here is thinking, oh, you think price is the most important thing, just like we do. So we're just going to send this email. The price looks good. Let's get this done. And if you make that assumption about other people, you miss the opportunity to create value. And again, it might hurt the negotiation. And so that kind of gives another example of why it's so important to be curious in these conversations and not assume anything because sometimes you miss big points if you just operate on your own assumptions. Exactly. And I think you're touching on the of a point that I like, this is where usually I start when I give a training on cultural differences and the impact on negotiation. That's where I start is you have to be curious and you have to show respect. And you can never be 100% right. You will never manage to understand all the subtle aspects of each different culture or even one specific culture that is not your own. Because something are like so deeply buried inside people that they don't even realize that they have it. But one thing that's also universal is this like signs of respect where even if you make a mistake, even if you say the wrong thing, people can feel that it was not intentional. They can feel that you're curious to learn more about their culture and whatever mistakes you make, small mistakes, but whatever mistakes you make, it will be okay. You will kind of get over it quite easily. Right. Oh, this is cool. Because essentially what we're saying here is that a lot of times we start to implement these tools of persuasion and we try to get down to the nitty gritty very fast. And we don't appreciate the fact that an incredibly important part of the negotiation is in the rapport building stage and the ability to connect with other people. And like you said, respect is a key aspect of it. One of the questions I have here is when it comes to showing respect between cultures, how can we show respect in a universal way if we're not sure how to navigate the particular business culture in question? Sure. I think it's really simple stuff. I think probably try to listen first and speak a little bit less if you're unsure. You know, if you're not in your environment, you kind of like take a backseat position and just observe. And I think just by forcing yourself to listen, you have to observe a lot more what's happening around the table. So I think that's one. The second one, it's, I mean, an easy one is also just do a quick research. If you go to a different country or if you know someone from a different country, you just do a quick Google search. There's loads of like one pages that will tell you the bare minimum that you have to know and to understand. So I think those things are, are definitely important. And then a big aspect is also 
try to replicate or like mimic what the other culture is doing. I like your idea of building rapport because this is key, especially at the beginning in the negotiation. But how do you build a rapport? It's actually if you manage to mimic like the body language of someone, you it's easier to build a rapport, like the eye contact, or if they do eye contact, you build rapport. So it's the same with culture. See how they sit see how they drink their tea, you know, see what they order. Like if you go to the Middle East, everybody order tea, just order tea. You may not like tea, but just order yeah. tea. This is what everybody around you is doing. Just don't go about your normal day and have coffee or have a Coke, just order tea. So just mimicking what the other party is doing at the beginning to get aligned with them, that will take you a long way. That's brilliant. I like that. One of the things that I think some assumptions people might have is that they might see a dichotomy between East versus West, not versus, but East compared to West. So the Western world, United States, Canada, Europe versus the East, which is comprised of the Asian countries. And then we have Africa, we have Latin America. Like Those are the big globs of people <laughs> that people think about when they think about um, cultural negotiations or cross-cultural negotiations. But I'm interested to see the differences between negotiation styles in the Western world. So you've had the opportunity to negotiate professionally in Europe and in the United States. What are some differences you've seen in the um, English-speaking world in Europe versus the English-speaking world in the United States when it comes to negotiation? Yeah, so I think first is really realizing that, I mean, first in Europe, Europe is made up of many countries and a lot of these countries have a different history so they would behave in a totally different way and to some extent i mean to my great surprise and i had to learn the hard way but the us is not that different you know the way you interact and build rapport in new york is very different from the way you build rapport in the northwest or even in some part uh, in the South. So I think that was my first learning. It's like treat each country, and in some cases, even each region in each country in a different way. That's super, super, super important. And then try to understand quickly if you have something in common. So what I mean by this, Americans negotiating with British, eh, that's quite okay. Americans with Germans, also quite okay. It's like there's a cultural aspect that's quite similar in many ways. Suddenly, when you start moving to a more like French, Latin base of France, Italy, Spain, negotiating with the US, oh, that gets to be a bit trickier. So sometimes it's really hard to know in advance how the culture will gel together, even within Europe, but even within like countries that you may think are quite similar, but actually would approach things in a very, very different way. This is really cool. And this is fascinating because really what it's showing is the importance. It's demonstrating the importance of being curious because a lot of times you go into these conversations, like I said, with the assumptions, even within a country, and uh, you're going to be sadly mistaken. Paces are yeah. different. Like New York to the South, very, very, very different. And if you miss it, like if you take somebody from New York who's a fast talker, really wants to get down to business, and you take them to the South, again, it's like, oh, this is kind of abrasive. And you might leave a negotiation and it might not go well, and you have no idea why, because you weren't curious. So yeah, this is really interesting. 
one of the things you mentioned was uh, the countries like in France or more of a Latin based. It's a little bit different from the uh, countries like U.S., England and uh, Germany. For you, what are the key differences you've seen in those countries? So the way I look at these countries is first, how important hierarchy is for some countries. Let's say that in France, it's a quite hierarchical culture, meaning if someone of a higher authority on paper or for whatever reason says something to you and you're below, it's expected that you comply. And that would be expected on both sides, the one that's higher in hierarchy and the one that's lower in hierarchy. But then you have other countries, like Sweden is a very good example, that are a lot more flat in terms of hierarchy. It's more like consensus-based. So that means even if you're like the CFO of a large company and you have like a manager, like middle management, it doesn't mean that automatically they will have to say yes. It would be totally acceptable in that situation to like make some comments. And that gets tricky. That gets tricky. I had projects where... I came actually from the UK where I started my career, and then I had projects in Sweden. And the behavior of some people in my team, I was like, oh, wait, hold on, you know, that's what I want you to do. And they would openly push back. And for them, it was not even pushing back. It was just being them and being in their culture and the same with clients. So I think that's a big, big one. And also the other aspect is around, is the culture more focused on the collective is the culture more focused on the individual. And in this type of situation, when it's focused on the individual, it's okay for you to look out for yourself and just try to do you. And that would be accepted in that culture. Mostly the Anglo-Saxon countries would be a bit more like that. France, a lot as well. But other countries would be like, no, it's about the collective. No, it's about the group. It's what's good for the group. And then again, if you try to talk about I, I, and me in the setup where people think about the group, that's not going to help you build rapport. So I think those two aspects, and there's like three more by this specialist, but those two aspects are usually where people make the biggest mistake. That's really interesting. I forget which book it was I was reading, but I believe there was one instance where a company sent a high-ranking official that wasn't like the CEO of a company to negotiate with a company in another country with their CEO and their top brass. And the uh, other company felt it was insulting that it was somebody that wasn't the CEO that came from the other company. And I think that kind of goes to show how something that might be a decision based on efficiency for a company in the United States might actually come off as insulting for a country that is more hierarchical, that focuses on rank. Very, very true. Yeah. So that's a key part. And now with the uh, individual society versus the collective society, besides making sure that the semantics of your approach are in line with the society at play, what other things do you think they should watch out for? So if I'm somebody coming from, the majority of listeners are in the United States. So let's say if I'm in the United States, which is more individual, and I'm negotiating with uh, Japan that's more collective, what other things do you think I should focus on other than just the relationship? I think it's, and here is like about getting tactical, like how to make sure you are in a better position to win. My thought here was to socialize your ideas before going prime time. So let's say you want a specific outcome and there's a meeting to talk about that outcome. Instead of just waiting for that meeting to present your idea, you should, before that meeting, go around 
and talk to a bunch of people about your idea so that it means that when you go into the larger session people are more like already in tune and aligned with your idea and the person that's there ready to make the decision is very likely to look around body language or even like explicitly what people say and based on that make their decision to go with your idea or to go against your idea so i think that's a big one that's super helpful oh that's brilliant yeah that's an incredible tactical tip because especially if you're in a collective society, most likely you're going to be making decisions to some level uh, by committee. And so essentially you are yeah. doing coalition building. That's a nice way to put it. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So it's almost like mini negotiations before you get to the big one. And it makes the big one have a greater likelihood of success because you have more people on board. Exactly. Or even if it doesn't succeed, you know in advance that this approach is not going to succeed. So you have the opportunity to adjust before that prime time. Oh, that's brilliant. Very, very cool. You know, I could talk about this all day. This is really fascinating to me. Once you get settled, uh, when you go back to Europe, we have to have you back on. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I know the Dutch are going to give me like some really juicy examples for you. The Dutch <laughs> and they're like so direct. That, yeah, they're going to be like good examples. That is cool. Well, before you go, um, just a couple last questions. Wanted to ask you about some resources. Are there any resources you'd suggest that our listeners look into when it comes to improving their cross-cultural negotiations? Well, I mean, the first one, I'll, uh, shamelessly, I'll put a plug for my blog, thenegotiationroom.com. I think it's an interesting one where you can talk about it or think about it in a fun way and in a, also in a simple way. So that's one. But then I think like the reference in that space, it's not easy to remember, but which is called Gert Hofstetter. And he created the five dimension of uh, cultural differences. It's, I know the spelling is a bit weird, but if you just type five cultural aspects of negotiation, of culture, it will come up first in Google and the name is Gerd Hofstede. So that's super cool. It's a good general understanding of it. And then from there, you have a bunch of like specialized books. But I would just at the beginning go with the simple little like blogs or one pager online about cultural differences and try to focus just on the country where you're going. If you're just going to the Middle East, just focus to like Dubai. Okay, how do they think over there? What do I need to do? What should I not do? Take it step by step. That's cool. Yeah. And now I have another book for my book list. <laughs> Definitely. So thanks for that. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm going to link to your blog and the, the book reference you made too. So in the description, listeners, if you're trying to take notes, don't worry. I'm going to put that link in the description and check out the blog. That is awesome. Very, very cool. Perfect. Well, yeah. Thank you again for joining us today. This was really, really helpful. Thanks for having me. Super fun.